welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. Hello again, this is Pastor Derek, and I just wanted to jump in real quick before we get started on this week's installment of the Graceway Sermon Cast and give you as a listener kind of an update about what's going on in our season of transition in our ministry. Back in January, at the beginning of this year, uh, we decided as a church to begin joining in fellowship and holding uh, collaborative worship services with another church in our area, a church by the name of Living Hope Fellowship, where Chris Reber is the pastor. Uh, We have decided to do that through a season of transition within our ministry as we seek God's guidance for us in the next steps. And so over the course of that season, you're going to be hearing at times, Pastor Chris Reber will be bringing the message on our sermon cast, and then at other times you'll hear my voice along with some other guest speakers as well. Uh, So just wanted to let you know as a listener kind of what's going on. And so if you hear a different voice as you tune in, that's kind of what's going on. So I'm going to jump off of here and we'll get started with the message. Today we're going to be talking about sin a little bit, uh, maybe in, in more of a, a way for us to fully understand the impact of it, the ramifications of it, how we relate to it, what God's desire is for us in our understanding of it. We've looked at in the last few weeks uh, some six, six basic things that we feel like God has called us to as believers that are things that unite us as believers, and without these things, there's a major problem. Uh, you may not even really have a relationship with God if you don't have an understanding of these six things. They're the things that kind of help us have unity one with another in the family of faith. Uh, The first week, Pastor Derek dealt with God and who he is and how he represents himself to us in three persons distinctly, and how today as we walk with him, we have a personal relationship with him because of his indwelling power of Holy Spirit. Then uh, last week, I I shared with you concerning the Word of God and and the place that should have for us in our walk with God and how that kind of came to be historically, which can be, you know, a little jumbly sometimes. My mind got in that place I was talking about a minute ago last week because there's so much information. But the core thought of it all was to understand that this is is not a book of suggestions for us. (laughs) This is the God-breathed, presentation of God for us that we might have clarity in our walk with him and so as we get a hold of that we also come to some things that's taught in this God-breathed presentation to us about how to walk with him and how to understand certain things in our relationship with him so today we're going to be focusing on the third thing that are foundational in relationship with him that are kind of basic beliefs for all Christianity and that is the sinfulness of mankind that none of us are able to be exempt from we do know the scripture talks about one who was there is none righteous no not one except Christ right in him alone but because of who we are in our humanity we have been sin cursed next Next week, uh, Pastor Derek is going to help us understand from a very clear standpoint of uh, the provision of God and how to have that relationship with Him. And then the following two topics that we have left are um, 
understanding the reality of the relationship with God that has no barriers now because of what Christ done. No need of an intercessor, save Christ alone. And then the final thing, we sang a little bit about it, that there is a king of a kingdom who's coming back. And if we don't understand that there's a king of a kingdom, we might not be in the kingdom. <laughs> so we were going to get a, a handle on that a little bit in the next couple of weeks. But this morning specifically, thinking about this reality that mankind is sinful. And you see, that's a negative term. And our terms in this world today, it's hard for people to get a hold of that because of that. Because in this world today, everything's supposed to be positive. And if you say something that has a negative tint to it, then you've done something wrong. And that's just not reality. And, and so we want to get into the reality of what sin has done to mankind and that sin is, or mankind is sinful. One of my goals in preaching throughout the years has been that, that as I share the word, is that it will give listeners the tools to respond to those who disagree. And when you hear the word and when you hear a message, I want you to be able to walk out and know that when you discuss something with somebody else, you'll be able to explain why you think what you think. You know, we ought to be able to tell somebody why we believe something. You shouldn't be walking in your faith under the understanding because Pastor Derek said so or because Pastor Chris says so or because John MacArthur says so or because, you know, fill in the blank. You should be able to walk under the understanding because God's word says this and I understand through the Holy Spirit the truth of that for my life. And how do I communicate that to somebody else? It's not always mandatory that you can quote verse, text and verse. It would be good. Nothing wrong with that. It's a good thing. We ought to all find ways to memorize more and more Scripture because it becomes a part of who we are in, in that respect. But we ought to at least understand the concept from Scripture and be able to communicate that to people and know that our basis is from Scripture. Our basis is from the teaching of the Word of God. And so as we think about this idea about mankind is sinful, you know if you walk in the world today, there's a lot of people who are going to say, well, mankind's basically good. There's a lot of people out there that say that. Or there's this idea now that sin is relative. It might be sin to you, but it's not sin to me. Or, you know, who gets to decide? Who gets to define if something's sin or not? And so there's this chaotic mindset out there, almost in the right circles, anything goes, right? And so how dare I make a statement like, mankind is sinful. And yet, at the same time, if we think about this for a moment, and after 40-some years now in the ministry, I've never had a person, when I've asked them, have you ever sinned? And they said, oh, not me, never. At least nobody, on that topic anyway. <laughs> I can't say no one has, but not on that topic. And so the reality is, all of us innately have an awareness that there's sin in the world. And even to the effect or to the point that we realize we ourselves, as one of the kids said a little while ago, have done something that is not what God would approve of. And we get that down deep inside of us. And, and so it causes us to come to grips with this reality that sin has entered the world and sin is in me. And how do I contend with that? And how do I come to grips with that? 
And there's so much scripture on this issue. I mean, we could go forever and ever, really. <laughs> you know, a lot of people feel like that, that uh, religious organizations have come up with the understanding of sin so that they can control humanity. Get them to live the way we want them, you know. There's just a lot of skepticism in the world on this issue. And yet, down deep, as I said innately, we understand that we've done wrong. We haven't handled things the way we ought to. And I could go into a thousand illustrations. Maybe you could give some testimony to that, but you probably don't want to today, right? Probably not. Let's go to a passage in, in Romans chapter 3 for a minute. And we're going to read, it's a lengthy passage, and I'm just going to read it through. And I'm not, I'm not going to uh, uh, preach the entire sermon just from this passage. We're going to have some other places. But the context of what we're dealing with today is all found here. And I'm going to read from verse 10 to verse 31. So just stay with me. Pay attention along the way. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. You might say, well, I seek for God. Um, as a result of repentance, maybe. We'll get back to that. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There's not even one. Their throat is an open grave. Their tongues, with their tongues, they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet swift to shed blood. Do you not see this all over humanity? Destruction and misery are in their past, and the path of peace they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. In other words, God made it very clear for us so we could understand what's going on. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Why? Because nobody keeps it fully, right? For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Oh, we become aware that we can't keep it all. And we know it's sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law. So this is happening apart from the law, but the law reveals that it's true. And the prophets also. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction. For all, you're there. I'm there. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because of the forbearance of God. He passed over the sins previously committed, and He's the one who gets to make that choice because the sin was against Him. hope you're listening to the children's sermon. There was a reason for it. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? Well, I'm not that bad. I've been a pretty good person. 
I mean, so-and-so's worse than I am. There's no room for boasting if you're not righteous fully and completely in and of yourself. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No. But by the law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. What's that mean? You can't earn it. You don't get to decide. You're the one who did wrong. God gets to decide. So there's nothing you can do to fix the problem. Or is God the God of Jews only? He is not the God of Gentiles. Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, the God of Gentiles also. Since indeed God, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, is one. Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. In other words, okay, since it's by faith, I can live any old way I want to, right? No way. No. As a matter of fact, because of the faith that's come into you, that is a repentance produced by godly sorrow, your desire is desperately to do everything and anything He wants you to do because you're committed to Him. It's not about you. It's not about what you can get away with or not get away with. It's not about what's comfortable and uncomfortable. It's about what pleases Him. So in that context, there's a lot of stuff, but I want us to talk about this a little bit together. You know how I am. I'm going to ask you some questions and you get the answer. But uh, we're going to come to a place of trying to get a handle on the impact of sin. First of all, I would say the honesty of sin, the impact of sin, and the resolution God has for sin. Those are not my points. They're totally three other ones, but they kind of illustrate those points. (laughs) First, we're going to, again, get a hold of this idea. What is sin or who defines it? Gunner did a great job with that earlier. I wonder how good a job we do ourselves with it. Oftentimes, as we think about what sin is and who defines it, we have too much in the game. We kind of conclude our levels of sin and our participation of sin based on our scenarios, our situation, what's happening in my life. That somehow qualifies whether it's sin or not. It does not. God makes that choice for us. Sin is when we don't meet God's standard. Augustine said it this way. Augustine of Hippo, you heard about him before, right? He defines sin this way. It's a word, deed, or desire in opposition to the eternal law of God. That's pretty scholastic. You can get a hold of that if you want to. Or, Gunner translation, doing something God doesn't want you to do. 1 John 3, 4 says this, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. What does that mean? It's a breaking of the plan and intention of God in your heart. It's It's a rebellious spirit. It's an attitude of your way, not His way. Other questions concerning the existence of sin are, how did sin ever enter the picture in the first place. I know a lot of us have got a lot of understanding about biblical history, and we know the story of Adam and Eve, and is that where it started? Did you know it started before that? How many of you knew that? Yeah, a couple of you did. 
started really with a guy named Lucifer <laughs> who decided he, in his attitude of pride, wanted to be like God and kind of challenged his ability to do so. It didn't turn out well for him, did you hear? <laughs> That's where it all got started. And then he, in his effort to destroy what God intended for good, what God knew wouldn't stay good, by the way, get into all that, all these things that these all have theological uh, you know, explanations of, of description. When I just talked about that, I talked a little bit about God's sovereignty. You know, we're talking right now a little bit about the concept of original sin, doctrine of original sin. We're going to get into that a little bit more in a second. You know, theologically, we get into all these phrases in today's world, total depravity. You know, that's a big Calvinistic term today. It's, it's one of the two that I feel like I can fully agree with. And there's another three that I might feel like it depends on how you interpret them. I might have some agreement with. But there's at least one I'm fully disagreed with. That's unconditional. Anyway, I'm chasing rabbits. You get my point. We're talking about sin, total depravity. In other words, in and of yourself, you are fully dependent on a resolution for the sin in your life. You are flat out up a creek without a paddle. You nothing you can do about it. But God in His great mercy did. How did it enter picture? It entered through through Satan, then through Adam. And as you read the book of Romans, you find out that because of that activity, it passed upon all mankind and developed a sin nature in us where that we are still condemned for our own sin, but we have such a proclivity to sin, we're absolutely going to sin because it's inside the nature of mankind to sin. And as a result, we're going to walk in guilt for that sin. Romans 5.12 speaks to that. Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Paul's point here was not that all have sinned after the example of Adam and therefore suffer the curse of death, but rather that all men share in the consequences of Adam's sin when he states, because all sinned. Let me explain that in a way we can get a better grip on it, okay? How many of you understand there's consequences to sin? You can, you can have full forgiveness of sin. You can have full restitution in a relationship against someone you have sinned against. But there will still always be what I call, I go back to our studies in Paul's house, what I call skid marks in your life. You're going to always have those skid marks to contend with because there's consequences for the sin you have walked in. The consequences of Adam's sin was that it spilled over and affected all mankind. And we're affected by that. So here we are in this situation that we deal with. Herman Babnick says this, Adam's sin, consequently, sin and death entered the world and held sway over all. That's another way to say it. Back to the question then, who has sinned? Well, Romans 3.23 says it really easy in case you're a little bit confused. <laughs> All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So I think that we would probably all be on the same page in here on that issue. We might have a radical in here that's struggling with that. But I would guess most of us understand this principle, all have sinned. It brings us to the most important thing that we can come to as it relates to sin. Well, there's two more important things. I don't know if that's one's more important than the other. 
But what about this? If all have sinned, what are the effects of that sin? Well, we, we know the verse, Romans 6.23, wages of sin is what? Death. Primarily a death to a relationship with God, but also the fact that you're going to physically die too. <laughs> there is a price and a payment to be paid for sin. That's just the facts. Just like if you go have a you work at a job at the end of the week, you expect a payment, right? If you don't get it, then you're pretty upset, right? Why would we be shocked? There's there's a payment for sin. You know the scripture is very clear that you know we reap what we sow, right? I mean that's the results. You plant some seed in the ground, you you expect something to come out of the ground. See, we're talking about something today that's, I mean, I'm, I'm having a hard time containing everything time-wise because this is so messed up in our world today. This idea of sin, it's so messed up. Do you know people come to Jesus today often because they want fire insurance in heaven and because they need to, do, to ask Jesus into their life so that they can go to heaven? And in and many places, the whole concept of how you come to, to Jesus and how you enter a salvation relationship, this issue we're talking about is getting bypassed. And yet the Bible does not bypass it. <laughs> the Bible absolutely says there has to be a response to the awareness that you and I have sinned. And so it's of crucial importance that we get a handle of understanding that a, a call to a relationship with God should be the result of the awareness that I'm a sinner, undone, up a creek without a paddle. God, I've sinned against you, and I, I need forgiveness. Most people are coming to Jesus this way today in some places. Oh man, I don't want to die and go to heaven. I want, to, I want my mansion on a hillside someday. I want to have my best life now. I want to have all the good things that comes with having a relationship with God. I better give my heart to Jesus. And they're not even addressing this issue that they are guilty in their sin. And that that's why they need this relationship with the Savior. What's getting missed so many times today is, why don't you confess those sins to God and repent of those? One of the things that blessed me, I know a lot of us have looked at all the Asbury Revival stuff, you know, and you can see a thousand videos on it now, right? One of the things I was watching bless me as I was watching one of them. They'd had an altar call. People had responded to the gospel, came down to, you know, deal with their business with God. And one of the speakers said, listen, God has called you to the altar because you're aware of your sin and you know you need forgiveness. Why don't you just take some time right now and admit those sins to God and ask him to forgive you? And it, and it hit me again, realize, the realization that everybody wants to bypass that. We want to we just throw a blanket over it with all sins. Why? Because then I don't have to feel guilty. I don't have to feel responsible. I don't have to get on. Here's the best part for most of them. I don't have to think about change. Repentance calls for that. That's what it calls for. 
And so what we've got to understand is that there are tremendous effects for sin, and sin kills just like it kills in your relationship with God. It kills everything it touches. And God, instead of wanting to put you at the place that you're at the uh, you know, devastation place of your life, and therefore you're going to repent, He instead, the Scripture tells me, that He is kind, and it's the kindness of God that He wants to use to lead you to repentance. And so He's really just wanting to show you how much He loves you, but not to the point that you would say, oh, my sin's not that big a deal. <laughs> No, that you would come to the point that you say, how could a loving God love me in the mess that I'm in? What a love you have for me. I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness for my sin. How should I expect you to love me? And that it would drive me to the place of wanting to flee youthful love. Man, we could preach a lot of times on all the things the Bible tells us that we ought to respond to sin with. It's not like I want to get so close to the line right here and not cross over because that's a bad thing. But instead, my attitude, because I know uh, sin kills, kills relationships, kills joy in my life. You think because you gave your heart to Jesus, sin doesn't kill anymore? Still kills. And so because I know that, and I've been forgiven for sin. I want to get as far away from that line as I can. I don't want anything to do with it. Because it's going to kill. It's going to destroy the joy of the Lord in my life. Well, true life and true repentance in life is an awareness that I don't just want to ask for forgiveness because I understand that sin kills, I want to understand what repentance is. I want to understand what it means to turn away. Though forgiveness is possible in my life, these long-lasting effects are going to be there, and they should remind me of the devastation of sin. They should remind You ever wondered why God doesn't do that? Have you ever wondered why when you give your heart to Jesus, like I did a long time ago, why it is I can still remember some of those things. Because God, I mean, He forgives you, separates as far as east is from the west, and remembers your sin no more as it relates to your accountability for that sin. That's what it, that's all about. But God still leaves some memories, some, some skid tracks in our life, doesn't He? He still leaves. Why does He do that? Why didn't He just give us a clean blank slate and we never remember it again? What do you think? Don't want to do it again. Listen, I remember what it was like to be a young man rebelling against the will of God. I remember that. You remember that? Wasn't a good thing, was it? In the day I thought it was, but as I look back now, I'm like, whoa, how stupid was I? I remember the various steps in my life where God, as a believer, God would start showing me things He wanted me to change. And, and look, Chris, this sin's destroying your life and your joy with me. It's not that I'm condemning you. You're settled for sure, forever. I'm a perseverance of the saint guy. I can agree with that. I believe I'm in the hands of God forever. But I also realize that sin left active in my life is still killing and destroying things. And so I can remember places in my pilgrimage with God as I'm walking along with God. And God says to me, Chris, what are you going to do about this? Well, I thought that was covered under the blood. Well, it is, but it's killing your life. 
it's destroying. Well, I don't know. Life ain't so bad. Oh, you have no idea how good it can be until you start walking past that. So I started, I could, I mean, it's a long sermon. I can't go through all those things. But I want you to get the point that we, we get to that place. You ever wonder why the Bible says that he moves us from glory to glory, victory to victory? This is, this is what it's about. Taking us from one place and moving us on a little further to that next place. And, and as we see that, God leaves that in our mind. I don't think accidentally. <laughs> so he helps us to never want to be there again. Sin destroys. That's the effects of it. Even in the life of a believer that's not condemned for eternity, sin destroys. What area in your life is the devil tricked you into believing that that sin in your life is not that big a deal? I want you to know, to some degree, it's destroying. And God's desire through his goodness, through his kindness, is to bring us to repentance. And out of his grace, if we don't respond to that, he's not going to give up on us. And he'll let even hard things sometimes happen in our life to get our attention. Anybody ever had that happen? I've been there. (laughs) But it was all out of his goodness and kindness that he brought me there. Let's talk about this last thing. We're seeing all this packaged in Romans 3, but I'm taking you some other places that's supporting it. Can I really, can I really be forgiven for my sin? I mean, see, there are some people that really struggle with that. I mean, even people that have placed their faith in Christ, they still are beating themselves up feeling condemned. Some people do it to the other person. How wrong is that? They themselves know they've been forgiven, but hey, you did so many bad things, it's impossible that you could be forgiven. (laughs) Who am I to say that? But that happens too. Can I really be forgiven for my sin? You remember what we were talking about earlier with the kids. Who decides what's required? You have a question? No. Okay. So who really decides what's required? Well, it's the offended party that decides. Here's what I found out too, though. I mean, because in humanity, it's a little different. With God, he sets out a plan and says, this is what's required. He's going to stick to it forever and it's done, right? But when you're dealing with humanity, you can do everything you think you ought to do to restore relationship, to seek forgiveness and all that kind of stuff, but a sin-cursed, messed-up mind in humanity may not be able to help you walk in that forgiveness by offering you the forgiveness they should be offering you. Now, praise God, that's a messed-up humanity. <laughs> God doesn't function that way. God says, here's the plan. Here's the deal. Yes, you can be forgiven for your sin, without a doubt. I've made a plan. Since you offended me, this is God speaking, since you offended me, here's my plan for you to be forgiven of your sin. You don't get an option. You offended me. This is my plan. It requires two simple things that we've got to come to grips with and determine whether or not we want to walk in it. The condition of forgiveness 
with God revolves around repentance and trusting or believing His provision. Now, I know we want to we talk in these terms in uh, Christian circles because it can be confusing. We want to talk in the terms of, hey, there are no conditions for God whosoever will. Well, I agree in whosoever will, but the Bible is very clear there are some conditions. Repentance is required. And trusting what Jesus did on the cross is required. Are those works that get you into salvation? No, they are not. They are responses to His provision. <laughs> That's what they are. So no one's getting there by working their way out, but everyone that gets there must come through His provisional plan. Repentance and trusting and believing in the person and work of Jesus Christ as atonement for your sinfulness. Now there's one of the big biblical words again, right? If you go to the Old Testament on atonement, what the word atonement is used for, it's kafar, meaning cut to cover or to make atonement. Well, okay, that doesn't help me a lot. I mean, atonement, make atonement. Well, it's a kind of a covering. But if you go to the New Testament word in the Greek, it is katalaji. What does that mean? I mean, I know you feel better now that you've got a Greek word out of your preacher. It doesn't happen enough, right? It means reconciliation. Ooh, I like that. Atonement, what Jesus did, God's provision for me in addressing my sin, is to bring me back in good relationship with God. In other words, now what I require for the offense you have committed against me has been satisfied, and it's all good. We can go on from here as if nothing ever happened between you and I. You might have some residual effects of the mess you made out of your life. But as it relates to relationship with God, I can move on from there knowing that reconciliation is done. I don't have to feel bad in His presence. I don't have to feel like you feel about that situation when you know you've done somebody wrong. Like you've cheated them in some way. You stole something. Maybe I, I went by Miss Susan's house and she had something nice out in the yard that I really liked. And it was dark at night and I knew she was in bed and I thought it looked better in my yard. So I pick it up and I take it home. And as I was leaving, she saw a car leave. It looked a little bit like mine. She wondered if it was me, but nah, he would never do that. And then all of a sudden, every time I'm around Susan, I, I just don't feel right. Was you over at my house there a couple? No, I'm not. What do I do it over there for? I wouldn't go over there. Some kind of awkwardness there. That's what happens, right? You know, you don't have to have that with God. You don't have to have that with God. If you're coming to Him on His basis, I'm repenting. I'm going to see sin the way you see it, God. I see my sin. I've done wrong. If you're one of these people who have never been able to get over your past, let me give you some advice. Go take some time alone with God and say, God, I know you've forgiven me, but I haven't been able to get over my past. That's honesty. How about that? That's a good thing. So I'm just going to list these things right now so I can turn them loose. I did that about a year and a half, two years into my relationship with God. Let me tell you what happened. 
I'd gone to this conference. This guy was talking about freedom in Christ. You know that name? That's the way I signed it. It comes from this time, okay? And as I, as I went to this conference, he was talking about that same issue of walking in condemnation. And if you're in Christ, you shouldn't be in condemnation. So if you're in condemnation, something else is going on. You need to get things straight with God. And so God hasn't condemned you. So here's one way you can get free with that. Just be honest with God. Tell him how you feel. And if you think there's these things that you still feel burdened about because you really haven't been honest with God about those things, why don't you just sit down and make a list and ask God to forgive you for all of them? I ended up with two legal pages full. I'll just give you a couple quick ones, and then, and then I'll give you the next thing he said to do. One of the things on that list was I had stole a Bible from my brother that I lived with in his basement. And when I left his basement, I went to Campbellsville College because I needed a place to live. <laughs> his Bible in my boxes. <laughs> I'm at a Christian school believing God's calling me to ministry, <laughs> thinking I'm supposed to learn the Word of God, and I'm learning it from a stolen Bible. <laughs> and I make this list, and I realize, oh, that's not mine. Had a nice, cool jersey. I played on the baseball team in high school, Iroquois Garden, you know, played second base. When I graduated, the jerseys were brand new that year. Last statement of the coach before he sent us on our way. I know the tradition is for seniors to keep their jerseys, but guys, these are brand new. We don't have the money for that this year. Please leave your jerseys. It's not free to take. I was still wearing it around campus on Campbellsville College <laughs> when God got a hold of my heart on that. I was walking in condemnation because I was walking in sinfulness that I hadn't let go of. I was walking in personal condemnation. I was only received in the presence of God because of the work of Jesus. But for me to get out of that personal condemnation, I had to be honest before God. And so I went through this list of two lists of sheets not because I felt condemned that I wasn't going to be saved and go to heaven. That was settled by Jesus. But because the enemy was able to use it to create condemnation in my own heart because I wasn't right with the people that I had stolen from. People that I had done wrong, really wrong. I could go in the long list, but I, I like my job, don't want you to fire me. So I went through all that and, and, and then out of that realized a freedom that I had never known in my life and from then on started signing my name free in Christ, which comes out of that verse that I quoted earlier. It is for freedom that I set you free, that you might not again return to a yoke of slavery. Chris, I want you to be free from sin. So as you come across these issues that you're concerned about, just be honest about them and do what you're supposed to do. Make things right with people. I love you. You're coming to live with me forever. I'm in you right now because of what you're doing in response to what I called you to do to be right with me. So we're good. But if you want some joy in your life while you're walking on earth, and if you don't want to walk under condemnation because of the things you're doing, the things that you become aware that you know I have defined as sin, like stealing, <clears throat> or you fill in the blank, then just be honest and do what I've asked you to do. I'm not shocked, by the way. Don't you know I know all that stuff already? 
I mean, I went to God and said, God, here's this, here's this two sheets full of the legal pad. Oh, man, I can't believe it. Boy, you are bad. You're a mess. <laughs> you know it's not like that. Let's close with a few scriptures that will help kind of summate everything for us. I'm going to need my glass. Let's go to 2 Corinthians that I read to the kids a little while ago. We're going to read two verses this time, though. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret. In other words, you're not sad that you got to go get things right. You want to get things right. You know where the line is. You want to get away from that. You have nothing to do with that anymore. It's not your life anymore. So you want to, that's the joy of your heart, to honor your Father in heaven, and that's just what you want to do. There's no regret there. So it's a repentance without regret leading to salvation. Now, interesting. You ever spent much time on the last part of this verse? But the sorrow of the world produces death. What do you think that means? I haven't let you talk enough today. What do you think that means? When he says the sorrow of the world leads to death. You see, the sorrow of the world ends up being revolved around who we are. What we get out of it. Instead of what's honoring to God. And the sorrow of the world is a sorrow that condemns you. You feel guilty. You feel unworthy. You feel unaccepted. All of those things that God does not feel about you because of what's happened in your life in repenting from the sin of your life and trusting the work of Jesus to forgive you. But the, God, the worldly sorrow tells you it's about how pitiful you are, how sad you are, what a mess you are. And God's saying, that's not what we're about. We want a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. In other words, I'm willing, Lord, I'm willing to do the things you asked me to do so that I can walk in the joy and the freedom that's mine in Christ Jesus. And it produces repentance, and it's part of who I am in salvation. It produced salvation in me the first time it happened, and it enables me to walk in the joy of my salvation as I continue to walk in that understanding. In Acts 16.31, it says, a real simple thing, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. Repentance and trusting the work of Jesus. We spend a long time on repentance because nobody talks about it these days. Okay? But let's talk a little bit about that most crucial thing of genuine faith in Christ. This is not a little dabble do you belief. This is an all-in belief. This is I'm up a creek without a paddle without him belief. This is like what Hal Upchurch told me years ago. You practice daily what you believe. The rest is just religious talk. This is the fact that I really believe that the work of Jesus Christ on the cross was sufficient for what God asked me to believe in to allow me to be forgiven. I can trust that. I'm putting all my eggs in that basket. That verse we looked at earlier, Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. I love the rest of it, don't you? <laughs> but the free gift of God 
is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And then Romans 10, 9 and 10, you've heard them many times. That if you will confess with your mouth, Jesus is the Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, from, then you will be saved from what? The guilt of your sin. And the penalty of your sin that requires atonement so you can have reconciliation. <laughs> For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. This thing of understanding the depravity of man, the realization that I'm a sinner and I'm in a mess and I need help, it's crucial to you being, the issue of you being honest with that is crucial to you having a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you just want to kind of write that off as being, oh, well, it's not that big a deal. I'm so glad Jesus died for the sin of the world and I'm good. Now, I know I said that kind of flippantly and I know the tenets of what I said is absolutely true. But the core of it has to be the honesty of your heart that you are repenting Seeing sin as God sees it, you're repenting and you are trusting fully the work of Jesus. And because you see sin the way God does now, for the rest of your life, 41 years in it now for me, well, no, it's longer than that, 79, do math for me, Paul. <laughs> long time, long time from then till now. 43. I Thank you, I feel as, I feel as, let me say it that way. I feel as repulsed about sin when I'm aware of it in my life as I did that day. And if that's not true with you, something's not right with you and God. It's not that he doesn't love you and you don't love him. It's not that you won't go to heaven and he's never going to accept you, but something's not right. You've stolen something out of his yard, so to speak. And you feel a little awkward because of it. But if your attitude towards sin is, I don't want anything to do with it. And you know it can't condemn you, but you know you want to walk in just a, a place that you can be free from the condemnation, yes, but also from the destruction. That's what I'm free from. I'm free from the destruction of sin in my life. We all are when we take it serious and understand the seriousness of sin. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section, or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.